Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of March 17. Happy birthday, Rubina. Happy birthday, Maria. It's not our birthday, it's EVN Report's birthday. It's been six years. Six years of doing this. Every Friday, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Every Friday. It's been a good ride. A difficult one, but a good one. So thanks, Rub. Well, we got a long way ahead, I think. Yeah, of course we do, yes. And speaking of which, in the news this week... European Parliament adopts a resolution on EU-Armenia relations, strongly condemning Azerbaijan's aggression, welcoming reforms made by Armenia. The former NATO Secretary General visits Laching Corridor, says the EU must push Baku to lift the blockade. And Armenia's Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan holds a four-hour press conference for the media. This week, the European Parliament adopted a resolution on EU-Armenia relations condemning Azerbaijan for its continued aggression against Armenia while highlighting and confirming Armenia's successful fight against corruption and its robust reforms. The resolution was based on the report prepared and presented by Andrei Kovachev, the reporter of the EU-Armenia relations. We're going to be presenting some of the highlights of that resolution. The first one, durable and sustainable peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan cannot be achieved through military means and the threat of force, but requires a comprehensive political settlement in full accordance with international law. And here in the resolution, they mentioned the UN Charter, the Helsinki Final Act, the OEC Minsk Group's basic principles from 2009, uh, and so forth. A comprehensive peace treaty between Armenia and Azerbaijan must include provisions that guarantee the integrity of Armenia's sovereign territory, the rights and security of the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh, and the return of refugees and IDPs to their homes. The resolution notes that the root cause of the conflict remains unresolved, which is the situation and security of the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh and the status of the formerly autonomous region. The resolution strongly condemns Azerbaijan's large-scale military attack in September 2022 against the sovereign territory of Armenia, as well as military incursions into the internationally recognized territory of Armenia since May 2021. It reiterates that the territorial integrity of the Republic of Armenia must be fully respected in line with international law and the UN Charter and calls on Azerbaijan to immediately withdraw from all parts of the territory of Armenia, of course. Regarding the blockade of the Lachin Corridor and the deadly incident between Azerbaijan and the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh on March 5, the report urges Azerbaijan to remove any obstacles that would hinder freedom and security of movement along the corridor as stipulated by the trilateral statement of November 9, 2020. The resolution goes on to condemn Azerbaijan for regular violations of the ceasefire and calls on Baku to refrain from any steps that could lead to further escalation. It states that the implementation of Article 9 of the November 9 ceasefire statement cannot go against the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Armenia. It urges both sides, especially Azerbaijan authorities to refrain from hostile rhetoric or actions that can be perceived as inciting hatred or outright violence. The resolution welcomes the launch of the EU monitoring mission in Armenia and Yerevan's willingness to facilitate the mission on its territory, calls on Baku to allow the EU mission on its side of the border as well, calls on calls for the demarcation process to be internationally facilitated by the EU and or the OSCE in order to ensure credibility, fairness and sustainability. It suggests the establishment of a temporary international guarantee mechanism for the safety and security of the Armenian population and all returnees and calls for the granting of access to international humanitarian organizations to Nagorno-Karabakh, especially the UN and Rubina, as we know, only the International Committee of the Red Cross that is allowed access 
to Artsakh, no other international organization is allowed to be there. So this creates serious problems, obviously. European Parliament also expressed concern about the presence of the so-called Russian peacekeepers and their potential impact on political developments in the South Caucasus, and notes that with the expiry of the Russian peacekeeping mandate in three years' time, a new peacekeeping presence should be assured on the ground, and the resolution also stressed that it be an international peacekeeping mission. The ongoing issue of Armenian POWs and civilians detained during and after the conflict who are still illegally held in Azerbaijan was also included in the resolution, uh, which also condemned the sentencing and continued detention of 33 confirmed POWs and civilian captives. It also expressed regret that the fate and whereabouts of over 200 Armenians, including 20 civilians, in relation to the 2020 war remain unknown. The resolution also condemns in the strongest possible terms the torture, mutilation, and killing of Armenian military personnel, including women and eight unarmed Armenian POWs by Azerbaijani armed forces in September 2022. It also deplores the fact that perpetrators filmed these hideous acts and posted them on social media themselves, taking note of reports by human rights groups, in particular by Human Rights Watch, classifying this act as a war crime. Yeah, there was a very strong resolution. And there was also another resolution that passed on EU-Azerbaijan uh, relations as well. And whereas in Armenia's, there was a lot of, as you said at the top, uh, congratulations for its reforms and fight against corruption. The Azerbaijani resolution, it was very, very critical. And Maria, to be honest, and maybe because we're sentimental because it's our birthday today, Evian's birthday, but... Honestly, every time I'm fascinated how we manage to still, to some extent, at whatever pace, move forward with anti-corruption projects, with development projects in Armenia regarding how it's been taking into consideration how its past couple of years have been. <laughs> it is pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and we are critical, and as we should be. Uh, but at the same time, the fact that we just wake up each morning... <laughs> <laughs> and put one foot in front of the other is still amazing, to be honest. But anyway, speaking of putting one foot in front of the other, Artsakh has been under siege for over three months now. Today is day 96 of Azerbaijan's blockade of the Lachin Corridor. Their, you know, gas supply keeps being turned off and turned on again, and it was cut off again last week. And, you know, I can't even imagine how the people in Artsakh are handling the situation at the moment. Well, we keep calling Artsakh, saying Artsakh is under blockade, but I think people in Artsakh are at war. Yeah. Because the conditions with, under which they live mm -hmm. uh, is are the same conditions mm -hmm. as being at war. And on March 15, Artsakh's Ministry of Internal Affairs reported that three farmers came under Azerbaijani fire while working in vineyards in Artsakh's Amaras Valley. Throughout the week, Artsakh's Defense Ministry has refuted Azerbaijani claims of ceasefire violations by its units. On several occasions, the Russian Defense Ministry announced ceasefire violations in Artsakh without specifying which side or Opened fire. And, you know, when you read Amaras Valley, I remembered Our how trip. right after the ceasefire, and it was a ceasefire November 9, we traveled to Dadivank and then we made our way to Stepanagerd and how we tried naively to see if we could get past the Russian peacekeepers and get as close to Shushi as possible. We were trying to see how close we could get and at we that couldn't. point. We still had to wrap our heads around the fact that Shushi we couldn't go lost. to Shushi, yes. Yeah, but then they said, well, you know, if you want to go to Garmishuga, you're more than welcome to. And we said, let's go. And then we ended up in Amaras at the monastery there. And um, we got to meet the soldiers who were holding the fort down. It was a pretty incredible experience. And you're right, today is... 
a sentimental day for us, um, remembering everything that we have experienced and reported on. So, moving on. Azerbaijan's defense ministry disseminated video footage claiming that vehicles were transporting personnel of the Armenian Armed Forces and, quote, illegal Armenian armed detachments accompanied by Russian peacekeepers along the Khangendi, Khalvali, Turshu, Dirt Road, Artsakh, and Armenian authorities have denied those accusations. And at an official meeting which discussed the situation along the conditional state border of Armenia and Azerbaijan and the Karabakh economic region, uh, this is in quotation marks, Azerbaijan's defense minister Zakir Hasanov said that the Azerbaijani army will take decisive necessary steps to suppress any provocation from Armenia. On March 13, Ilham Aliyev's office issued a statement inviting the representatives of Gharapakh to continue contacts on reintegration and discuss issues related to the implementation of infrastructure projects in Gharapakh, proposing that the meeting be held in Baku. The Foreign Ministry of Artsakh responded to this proposal, reiterating that Stepan Aged remains committed that such meetings be held exclusively with the mediation of and at the headquarters of the Russian peacekeeping mission to discuss humanitarian, infrastructural, and technical issues. Artsakh's Ministry for Affairs noted that the ongoing blockade of the Lachin Corridor and the ensuing humanitarian crisis do not contribute to the creation of a conducive environment for negotiations. Once Azerbaijan implements its obligations of the ceasefire statement and the order of the ICJ, the International Court of Justice's ruling, favorable conditions can be created for further discussions. The foreign minister also said that Stepan Akert is ready to discuss the settlement of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict with Azerbaijan within an internationally recognized and established format with international guarantees for equal rights of the parties and implementation of assumed obligations. The day before, Hikmet Hajiev, assistant to Azerbaijani president, announced that the question of rights and security of the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians is the domestic issue of Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan will not discuss issues concerning its sovereignty with any third parties, especially the Republic of Hayastan, he said, and Hayastan is Armenia and Armenian, and they think that this is insulting to us. They, they keep referring <laughs> to Armenia as Hayastan now. We're now uh, speaking, they're speaking Armenian, I'm <laughs> okay. assuming. Well, Hajiev also stated that creating an international mechanism for discussing the rights and security of the Karabakh Armenians cannot happen, adding that Azerbaijan has never agreed to it. There is no logic in Armenia's statements on this matter. Their aim is to create artificial tension, he said. And yesterday, the Azerbaijani government settled 20 families in the village of Talish in Artsakh's Mardagert region, which Azerbaijani armed forces took over during the 2020 Artsakh war, specifically on October 3. And if you remember, Rubina, I'm not sure if you actually went to Talish after the 2016 four-day war. I did. Um, that was the scene of intense battles. Talish has always been one of those... Uh, so, Talish has changed hands several times, starting from the beginning of the conflict mm-hmm. uh, and has been resettled. And uh, after the four-day war, when I was there, uh, it was really... It's almost looking at the kind of the feared future. It's the whole village, like doors open, windows blasted open, and like you could just walk into people's bedrooms and their homes. And no and one was there. No one was there. I, we met one shepherd, not one person who was uh, the mayor of the, and some military personnel, and that was it in the whole village. Do you, you remember Hetk took those photos of the three family members that were uh, tortured yes. and mutilated by Azerbaijani forces. Uh, and it was in, it was, I think, the last Outskirts home, of, uh, uh, Talish. of Talish at the time. 
this this actually kind of breaks my heart. We actually have an artwork at the office mm-hmm. that's uh, from, Talish. from Talish that's been hit by Azerbaijani fire. Well, coming back to Yerevan, uh, this week Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan gave another press conference in the presence of reporters. This was his second such press briefing this year and lasted over four hours. Well, naturally, many of the questions were focused on the Armenia-Azerbaijan normalization process. Pashinyan said that Armenia recently received Baku's response around its most recent proposals of the draft peace treaty. It seems that there's drafts going back and forth between Baku and Yerevan. The prime minister noted that although the Armenian side sees some progress, however, the more progress there is, the more fundamental problems emerge, he said. He went on to say that Azerbaijan is trying to formulate territorial claims against Armenia through the possible peace treaty, which he called a red line for the Armenian side. He added that Azerbaijan is pursuing a line to hinder the creation of a system of guarantees for the implementation of the treaty, which is also also a red line for Armenia. Pashinyan said that there is no planned meeting with Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, at this stage. And as a reminder, after the Munich Security Conference back in February, the EU has announced several times that it is willing to facilitate another meeting among the presidents, between the presidents. He said the experience of previous meetings underscores that there must be guarantees on the implementation of agreements and obligations reached during those talks. Yes, and he noted that uh, agreements were reached during previous EU-mediated meetings in Brussels with Ilham Aliyev, but implementing them was impossible due to Azerbaijan's actions. The PM also stated that Baku is threatening a large-scale escalation if Armenia does not sign a peace treaty on its terms this year. He noted that Baku is rigging the draft peace treaty with, he's rigging it with booby traps in order to continue its aggressive policy against Armenia even after the possible signing of any agreement. A large part of the questions during the press conference concerned the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Pashinya noted that the issue of the rights and security of the people of Nagorno-Karabakh is extremely important to Yerevan, describing it as one of the key goals for Armenia. He added that it won't be possible to advance in this issue without international mechanisms and guarantees. And speaking about Azerbaijan's demands to disband Artsakh's defense army, Pashinya said that Russia is the guarantor of security in Nagorno-Karabakh under the terms of the 2020 agreement, and Nagorno-Karabakh wouldn't need to maintain a defense army of its current size if the threat of genocide by Azerbaijan were not to exist. He stated that he signed the ceasefire statement upon realizing that after the 2020 war, Armenia could no longer be the full and uh, you know total guarantor of security for Nagorno-Karabakh. Well, Russia responded to the mm-hmm. statement, but about that later. Uh, back to Pashinyan, he also spoke about the CSTO membership, noting that Armenia is not leaving the organization, but there is a perception that it, meaning CSTO, is leaving Armenia. Commenting on Yerevan's decision to decline the position of CSTO Deputy Secretary General, the Prime Minister said that if accepting the role would add to the security of Armenia, Yerevan would have gladly agreed to it. And since the opposite is true, then there is no sense in taking it. During the press conference, Pashinya said that Foreign Minister Ararat Mirzoyan will be traveling to Moscow on March 20. Mirzoyan was actually supposed to be in Moscow back in December for a trilateral talks with Sergei Lavrov and Azerbaijan's Foreign Minister Jehun Bayramov, but Yerevan canceled Mirzoyan's participation because of the blockade of the Lachin Corridor. Since then, the Russian side has stated several times that it is ready to facilitate trilateral talks and is waiting for Armenia. 
And on March 13, uh, Pashinyan held a phone conversation with Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. According to Pashinyan's press office, the blockade and the situation in Artsakh, as well as the deadly incident of March 5, were discussed. Pashinyan highlighted the importance of a more robust approach from Russia to overcome the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. The sides also exchanged views on the process of normalization of Armenia-Azerbaijan relations. According to a press statement issued by the Kremlin, the leaders discussed the implementation of the agreements reached by the leaders of Russia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan in 2020 and 2022, including steps to ensure stability and security on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border, restore economic and transport links in the region, and prepare a peace agreement between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Regarding the current situation around Nagorno-Karabakh, Vladimir Putin stressed the importance of resolving all emerging issues constructively in close contact and true interaction between the parties and the Russian peacekeepers. Uh, This is according to the Kremlin. On March 13, Armenia's defense ministry reported that Azerbaijani armed forces fired in the direction of Armenian military positions located near Verin Shorja in Armenia's Kerarkunik region. Two days later, the defense ministry refuted. Azerbaijani claims that Armenian units had fired at Azerbaijani military positions located on the eastern part of the border. This week, Azerbaijan's President Ilham Aliyev met Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz. During a joint press conference, Scholz stated that Germany is concerned about the unstable situation on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border. The situation is unsustainable in the long term and harbors the risk of further escalations, he stated, adding that the events of the past few weeks and months have shown this again and again. Scholz noted that Germany supports the EU mission in Armenia. Scholz went on to say that the humanitarian situation in Nagorno-Karabakh in particular is becoming increasingly critical. Our common goal must therefore be to quickly find a lasting and viable solution to this conflict for the benefit of the local people, he said. He emphasized that the peaceful settlement of the conflict must be based on the principle of the territorial integrity of Armenia and Azerbaijan, which includes respecting the rights and safety of the people in Karabakh. It is important to ensure that the human and minority rights of all residents of the two states are respected in accordance with international standards and commitments that have been made. And this week, former NATO Secretary General Anders Folk Rasmussen, head of the Rasmussen Global Think Tank, was in Armenia. He met with Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan, Defense Minister Suren Babikian, and Secretary of the Security Council Armin Grigorian. Regional security issues were discussed during those meetings. On March 14, he visited the entrance of the Lachin Corridor. In Goris, he met with Nagorno-Karabakh residents who are, have been unable to return to their homes because of the ongoing Azerbaijani blockade. Rasmussen tweeted, the EU must push Azerbaijan to lift the blockade. If not, we risk a humanitarian catastrophe. He also visited Jermuk, where he told reporters that he was invited to Armenia by the government of Armenia to help them strengthen ties with the West. And Maria, you also were part of a discussion that he had with Mm -hmm. some political analysts and journalists. Yeah, it was an interesting conversation. As you said, it was experts and journalists, which is never a really good mix. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. Um, You know, it was on the record. So I do want to share some of my impressions about that meeting. He said that he's here to improve relations with the West, to support democracy in Armenia. He mentioned three specific things, raise awareness of the humanitarian situation in Gharapag because of the blockade. And he was very honest and said, you know, the West, Europe and the West, whatever however you want to count, call them, is really preoccupied with the Ukrainian crisis and really 
either doesn't know or doesn't care about what's happening here, and that he's going to, that he was going to go to the Lachin Corridor, as you said he did. Uh, he said he was focused on how to ensure lasting peace settlement that guarantees the security and rights of the people of Gharapag and how to do this and how to get international robust monitoring on the ground. He actually, when we were talking about peacekeeping missions, he kept reiterating that there should be an armed peacekeeping, an international armed mm. peacekeeping mission on the ground, and that clearly the Russian peacekeepers weren't um, sort of fulfilling their end of the bargain, and strengthen dialogue between Armenia and EU with a view to stabilize democracy. And he said, um, you know, it's up to Europe to do its utmost. And one of the reporters there said, what is your utmost? And he said, well, concrete economic assistance, expansion of the EU civilian mission, need independent fact-finding mission on the ground. And one of the questions I asked, and because this thing has been bothering me tremendously, is that many people in the West or leaders in the West, I don't know, will leave Russia aside for a second, saying, you know, Armenia, the Republic of Armenia is a red line for us. Let's talk about security and rights of the people, but there's really no talk about status. And he also mentioned, like everybody has, that you know the prime minister made very courageous remarks in parliament about lowering the bar on the status of Gharapakh. I said, you know, this is what we're hearing, but Armenia is the red line. But what happens when there's ethnic cleansing taking place in Gharapakh? Is the West, is the EU going to get involved? No red line extends there. <laughs> and he said, no, no, of course, of course, uh, the EU always gets involved when there is ethnic cleansing. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to give you my card at the end of this discussion so we can have a discussion. If that happens, what is the West going to do? Making all of these promises, but at the end of the day... What is the concrete thing that you can do? Anyway, it was a very interesting conversation. And as you said, he went to the Lachin Corridor. He made a number of comments. And, you know, it's it's welcoming to have these kinds of high-profile individuals who are working as private consultants today. For, for the government, Working yes. for the government to promote democracy and stability and security for the region. Anyway. Those are my two cents. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, back to Parliament. On March 15, Defense Minister Surenba began briefed the Parliamentary Standing Commission on Defense and Security about the types of armaments and equipment that the Armenian military recently acquired. He stated that Armenia's armed forces acquired various types of UAVs, anti-tank missiles, modernized air defense systems, engineering, demining, and communication equipment, optical devices, and grenade launchers. And I I hope by optical devices they didn't mean night vision goggles because uh, that was something that we heard so much about. I'm the smiling war and, and laughing because this is all we hear, right? From 2016 well, on. From 2016, this is what che? we needed. I mean, because you also heard it from the soldiers. I did too when I went after the four day war that this is what they were asking for. Following the discussion in Parliament, Babikian told reporters that there is always the threat of a new escalation. Given the rhetoric of Azerbaijan's president, he added that at the moment there is no amassment of troops on Armenia's borders. And yesterday, Babikian received the newly appointed CSTO Secretary General. The sides exchanged views on a number of international and regional security issues, including the situation on the Armenian-Azerbaijani border and the military political situation around Armenia. Today, this CSTO general was received by Security Council Secretary Armen Grigorian. The CSTO Secretary General also visited Jermug as a reminder following the Azerbaijani attack of September 13-14. The CSTO sent two fact-finding missions to the conflict-affected areas. One of the missions was headed by then-Secretary General Stanislas Zaz, and there was no concrete action taken by the CSTO at the time. Or since. <laughs> yeah. 
Over the weekend, former Deputy Health Minister Gevork Simonian, currently serving as the Deputy Mayor of Yerevan, was detained on charges of misuse of government funds provided for the fight against COVID-19. Around a dozen health workers were also detained on the same charges. The criminal case was launched based on a report released by the Armenian Parliament's Audit Chamber last year. It suggested that officials from the Ministry of Health embezzled and or wasted some emergency government funding allocated following the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. The chamber said the ministry inflated the numbers of hospitalized COVID-19 patients and channeled uh, 900 million Armenian drums, that's over... 2.3 million U.S. dollars into hospitals that did not treat people infected with the respiratory disease. Arsene Torosian, who served as health minister uh, when the misuse of funds allegedly took place, denounced the, quote, fictitious accusations against his former deputy in a Facebook post. He said that during the pandemic, many decisions had to be taken and harsh measures implemented to free up beds for seriously ill patients. This week, Armenia's Urban Technical and Fire Safety Inspectorate, strange name, uh, orders the full closure of the Surmalu markets due to ongoing technical and fire safety violations. And as yet another painful reminder, the result of a major blast in the market on August 14, this is of 2022, killed 16 people and over 60 were injured. During an inspection a few months before the blast, the inspectorate had recorded 16 fire safety violations at the market, which were not addressed. Well, Rubina, I just got a message from our staff writer, Heranush. The mayor of Yerevan has just resigned, speaking of... Uh, In related news. <laughs> related news. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that more next week, for sure. But he has resigned. Do we do the sh- talk show thing where we make uh, <laughs> predictions? <laughs> that laughter was from our podcast. But today we're like... We have moved outside of the parameters of what we usually do. That was Ani laughing. Well, yes. I guess we should prepare for Dikran Avinyan to be uh, the acting mayor yeah. of Yerevan until mm-hmm. the elections that are later this year. Mm-hmm. It, it was all part of a plan, wasn't it? <laughs> it well, let's we'll take bets. <laughs> let's see who else puts their candidacy for the for the elections, and then we can take bets in the summer. Um, yes, yeah, so this week, speaking of... Painful reminders. Yes, thank you. Major General Grigory Khachadurov, the son of Yuri Khachadurov, who is the former chief of the general staff of the Armenian Armed Forces, was detained on charges of money laundering. We've spoken about this in the past. There was an investigation. Now he has been arrested. And also this week, Armenia's Prosecutor General's Office launched an investigation against Armenia's former Prime Minister, Hovig Abrahamian, for illegal appropriation of property. The investigation will look into 59 properties, uh, shares in 20 companies and other assets owned by Abrahamian and people affiliated with them. You know, I live in the neighborhood where Abrahamian's home, which I believe he sold, and there's a whole head kind of investigation Investigation going on. And he was Speaker of the Parliament at the time he built the home. And it's almost a replica, a smaller version of Armenia's Parliament building. And every time I would walk by... It was just like my blood pressure would go through the roof because how can you afford this kind of home? It's just mind-boggling. And now to hear that he has 59 properties and shares in 20 companies and other assets. We'll see what what happens with the investigation. Hopefully something happens because we keep hearing about these investigations. Which are endlessly ongoing, which is kind of... No results. Yeah. Hopefully we'll we'll see the results. Well, I'm just glad he didn't decide to make a replica of the Garni Temple, for example. (laughs) Maybe it's inside the house. (laughs) Who knows? 
Anyway, that's the kind of week it's been here at EVN Report in, in Armenia. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us today as we chatted a bit. And happy birthday to EVN Report. We promise to keep trying to bring more context and depth to the stories that are happening, taking place in Armenia and Artsakh and in the region.